Hi, my name is Maisha. And my name is Zara. And you're listening to That's What They Said. Where we break down the them versus us narrative. So, we're back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a very unexpected, interesting last 24 hours yeah <laughs> uh we were prepping for the episode since last night at zara's place mm-hmm. and you know we were working overnight to like we started like 11 and we went to like 3 a.m and then zara and i were like oh like you know we were done with the prep uh we can just record the next day mm-hmm. and there is a podcast festival happening in vancouver right now it's called the vancouver podcast festival and we were very excited yeah as a new podcast content creators we were excited to attend it so there was a session um that we wanted to catch at 11 a.m so we're like oh you know what we'll go to bed at like 3 3 30 wake up at like 7 30 record our this episode. episode and then go to the session at like 10 sorry 11 and then we hit the bed at 3.30. And then what happened, Sarah? <laughs> well, the fire alarms in my apartment decide to go off very loud. And then we wake up thinking it's a drill, but they don't stop. And it turns out somebody in the building has left their stove on the f- on their... Something on the stove was Something on, on the and- stove, and they just fell asleep. And because of that, the entire building... It was a lot of smoke, I think. Yeah. And the entire building had to be evacuated. We were outside till... 4.45. Yeah. Didn't go to bed till 5am. In the 5 middle of the night. Yeah, 5am. Didn't go to bed till 5am. And then still and had luckily, to wake up. Luckily, no one was hurt in that in- yes, incident. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we woke up at 7.30 and we're like, okay, yeah, let's record. And then finally, we sat down around 8.30 to record. We started recording around an hour, 15 minutes in. We realized that we didn't choose the mic option on our laptop. Mm-hmm. And essentially... Nothing was getting recorded. Yeah, that's one hour of recording. God, that was this morning. So yeah, we're re- re-recording right now. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Still uh, here, mm-hmm. but yeah, hopefully it's okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we just wanted to let our listeners know, and those who are new, even um, to those who have taken the time to give us feedback, we have been getting great feedback about our podcast. So thank you for all of that feedback and. It's been really helpful. Um, if you would like to give us, uh, you know, any more feedback or any other thoughts you had, please feel free to share them. Uh, you can head over to our Instagram handle at at, at uh, that's what they said ca. <laughs> yeah, that's what they said ca, and hit the link in our bio, and you'll find a feedback form. Um, so yeah, please leave us any thoughts you have, any suggestions, or I don't know, any compliments. <laughs> <laughs> and we are also on Twitter at. What's our... What's they said CA. Yeah, clearly we can't remember handles today either. But yeah, we're also it's on... It's been a long yeah. day, guys. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but yeah, we're on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter. And don't forget, we're available to listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you don't have those apps, you can head over to Podbean or Deezer and listen on your web browser. Yeah. And about feedback, I'd also like to uh, add something. And we just actually learned this uh, from the sessions that we attended throughout the Vancouver Podcast Festival. Mm-hmm. There is an app called Podacy. Um, essentially, it is a podcast 
listeners community app yeah uh, if people are familiar with goodreads it's a website that recommends you books yes. um so similar to that podcast podyssey uh, is p-o-d-y-s-s-e-y it's an app if you download uh, essentially you go in and you search for your favorite podcast and you kind of add it to your playlist sort of and then you can kind of it's called echoing but it's Kind of, the way I see it is like tweeting yeah. on each episode. So we've heard from a lot of listeners that they want to, you know, discuss about our episodes. So I think that'd be a great way if you want to download the app and then search our search us and go to each episode. Yeah. And whichever episode you want to start a discussion on, you know, you tag us sort of or click on echo and you tag us and then comment on it. And then, you know, we'll respond back to you on that. And that way it really gives us a one-on-one uh, interaction with you and as well as other listeners for there to be a lively discussion yeah. about it. Yeah, and if you do want to discuss this more, you're always more than welcome to add us at, on Twitter yeah. or even DM us on Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you do like our podcast, please don't forget to spread the word because we are a new and growing podcast and we'd love it if more people would listen to us and we can grow and discuss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So today we're going to be discussing terrorism versus white supremacist attacks. And for the record, inspired by Mr. Hassan Minhaj himself, my name is Zara. And my name is Maisha. And we condemn radical Islamic terrorism. Absolutely. Yes. We thought it should just be out there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So jokes aside. Today's episode, um, unlike our other episodes where we try to show two sides of an issue, in this episode today where we're talking about terrorism and white supremacist attacks... We're trying to show that how the world perceives it, and even legally, these are perceived as two different things. Mm -hmm. So that's why we said terrorism versus white supremacist attacks. But the way we understand, and we'll elaborate on it during the episode, principally, these two are the same. Yes. So essentially, what we realize Mm -hmm. is there is a double standard in how white supremacist attacks that take lives are treated, and how terrorist attacks that take lives are treated. And essentially, we are breaking down these two opposing sides and showing you that it's the same. So it's kind of slightly different than what we've done in the previous episodes where we kind of analyze each side and say that there's some common ground and, you know, people are on each side. Unlike those, here we are saying both sides are plainly wrong Mm. because they're taking lives, but they should be treated the same because they're principally the same. Yes. And, you know, for many of us, acts of violent extremism, we usually hear about them through headlines or from news stories happening in cities foreign to us or in cities far away from us. But, you know, my first experience, if that's fair to say, with terrorism was during the 9-11 attacks. So on September 11, 2001, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon were hit. So those attacks and... Yeah, I used to live in New York during that time and it really hit home for me. And, yeah, it I just like New York City felt the pain, it really... I felt the pain as well. So that's, I think, not just mine, but many people's or just the word terrorism really coming into our daily headlines and Mm -hmm. our daily lives was through the September 11 attacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So since then, society has become very polarized. Yeah. From September 11 attacks to other attacks to, say, even the election of Donald Trump as a president to just the different conservative groups that are rising, we've become a very polarized society. There's lots of division among people of different Mm -hmm. opinions, people of different races, religions, and whatnot. And it's become so much about identity politics. Everybody's kind of thinking, my culture, my religion, my race, above all. And where this really has taken the most light, I would say, is in the white nationalism mm-hmm. category. There has been a huge surge in white nationalism or even or 
white supremacy in the last few years. And where did this white nationalism stem from, mm -hmm. you know? And first we'll get into a bit of the history of it. You know, in my opinion, I feel like the idea of white people being superior or or having this white supremacist or white nationalist ideology, it's been around for a very long time. For centuries. For centuries, yeah. And mm -hmm. just think about the violent takeovers, the genocide, the mass deportations, and even the racial racial segregation that's happened for centuries of, mm -hmm. throughout centuries of European colonization, throughout the Ku Klux Klan, which originated in the 1800s and then re-emerged again in the 1950s during the civil rights era. Think about the Atlantic slave trade. Exactly. The whole point yeah. about how millions of people were taken, uh, millions of Africans were taken from the region because they were physically seemed fitter yeah and you know mm -hmm. white people in uh, north america thought that they needed yeah. slaves yeah free labor f to work and yeah and they, they thought they could just go into lands that belonged to somebody else that had already been inhabited by mm -hmm. somebody else and they could just claim it as their own mm -hmm. right and then moving on to from there to the nazis in the 20th century where they believed they were the aryan master race yep and then going on to apartheid era south africa mm -hmm. you know mm-hmm so in modern day white supremacy, post 9-11, there has been a fear among white supremacists that white people are under attack. And a lot of experts have actually said that, you know, once President Obama got elected in 2008, a lot of white supremacists kind of got scared. Mm -hmm. They start feeling that we have an African-American in the office. Yeah. We are on the way to becoming a minority. These people, yeah. you know, these others are about to take us over. Yeah. And one needs to understand that following Obama's election, another major shift that sort of happened was how there was a huge uh, migration uh, happening in 2015 post uh, the civil war in Syria, where there were a lot of Syrians and a lot of, not just Syrians, a lot of people in from Sub-Saharan Africa who were, you know, crossing literally um, the ocean and seas to get to Europe and seek asylum for a better life, for more, from persecution. Mm -hmm. And as they were doing that, there was a lot of these um, ideologies that are a lot of far-right political parties that were boldly and strongly coming out and saying no we mm -hmm. are you know our life is our life our way of life is getting hampered yeah. you know so I think it's changing well, exactly and that was a major um, shift in how uh, the people of different color people of different religion was perceived in Europe so what needs to be understand is this major shift in Europe and now, post Donald Trump's election, there has been a major shift in how white supremacists have become emboldened in the U.S. Yeah. And something that I think needs to be understood is because the United States of America is the biggest economy in the world and it's a superpower, yes. when white supremacists feel so emboldened in the U.S., and especially post Donald Trump's election, and we'll elaborate that more, yeah. um, they have felt more emboldened to come out and say that they're white supremacists, they think it should be in the mainstream media, it needs to be understood because of that happening in the U.S. plus the prevalence of in internet and how it intricately connects the entire world together. Mm -hmm. It just means it's that easy for an emboldened, stronger, white supremacist ideology that's so much more accepted in the United States yeah. to spread across the world. And it feels okay for white supremacists sitting in, um, I don't know, same parts of Europe to feel like, you know what, it's okay for me to feel like this yeah. and maybe want to harm people. Yeah. But... Yeah, and, and they feel like it's okay for them because not just U.S. being a major superpower and economic power, but mm -hmm. they're also considered one of the most liberal mm -hmm. places. People yes, outside good, of North point. America, they feel like they are 
the moral of society. They are the liberal society compared to the rest of the world. So if yeah. they can do it, we can do it. Yeah. yeah. And if they're thinking that these ideologies should be in the mainstream, then it's okay. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, but, you know, at the end of the day, one thing that we want to clarify is in this day and age, free everyone has freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Everyone is entitled to an opinion at the end of the day. And as in much... It, yes. Modern countries, yeah. Yeah. And we believe in freedom of speech as well. And as much as we don't believe in or even accept the idea the white supremacist ideologies or you know even like islamic radicals ideology ideologies because we believe in freedom of speech for white supremacists i think we're we're tolerant to it yeah yeah but but when you act on it is when it gets wrong yeah when you and when we say act on it we mean be inspired by these ideologies and in the name of these ideologies you feel like it's your actions of taking lives are justified Mm -hmm. so yeah speaking of ideologies one of the major ideologies which we kind of lightly touched upon just while we were speaking was that white supremacists they believe that they're inherently superior genetically and culturally culturally to the inferior races that they consider inferior Mm -hmm. asians africans more but Let's be clear, there's no scientific evidence for that, despite the fact that Nazis, KKKs have have quoted literature such as The Passing of the Great Race by Madison Grant, which was released in 1916, mm-hmm. to other scientific, racist, I would say, scientific studies that should show that one race is greater than the other. There's no scientific evidence to this. Absolutely no. not. But the U.S. Census Bureau projections show that in between 2040 and 2050, in the U.S. in particular, white people will become a minority and the U.S. will become a majority minority nation. So so that, that just means that, you know, it won't they won't be greater than 50% of the population. They'll just fall below 50%. Yeah, exactly. But they're still a bigger, <laughs> bigger yeah. minority, essentially, right? Of course, the biggest yeah. minority, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, it's because, you know, a lot of minorities are you know pursuing a life in the united states to essentially pursue the american dream mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah there's no scientific evidence and there but there is this census that's showing that they're going to be statistically they're going to be a minority and yeah. that is creating fear among white among people who have such fear such fears or such white nationalist ideas in their mm-hmm. head they're like oh my god i'm going to be a minority so that fear of becoming a minority in a white majority country like the us or countries in europe that fear is causing that white supremacist ideology to really just like jump, you know, yeah. from something to being a thought in the back of their mind. It's becoming like, oh my God, I'm going to be replaced. You know, they're using this argument to essentially create m- more fear among their supporters and mm-hmm. create this climate of fear, which perpetuates division and hatred that the superior race is going to get replaced. Mm-hmm. And we're going to need to act on this, do yeah. something about it. Right. And, other other things that white supremacists believe in or that's part of their ideology is that they believe that minorities are a reason for economic problems in their white majority countries mm-hmm. in Europe and the US. They believe that their jobs are being taken over, healthcare is being provided to them and not looked into more. They're, they are anti-immigration, they're anti-diversity, they're anti-minority, and their argument is that the age-old argument they're taking our jobs but you know that's a whole nother episode and along with that they white nationalists really do believe that white pure race is being tarnished when you're having more minorities come in you're mixing there's 
you know? It's becoming a cocktail. Yeah. And they're of different colors. Contaminating. Contaminated <laughs> by foreign blood. Oh, dear. And as a result, they want to form a white, white ethno state, mm-hmm. where in majority countries like the US and European countries, they want to form this white ethno state where they're going to exclude residents. They're not going to provide residence or citizenship to mm-hmm. non-whites such as blacks and Hispanics, Asians, etc., etc. This is an absolutely like an extremist ideology. Yeah, this is like, very clearly, that's right? As I'm saying it, I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very extreme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the white supremacists essentially they see they see it as sort of like a culture war. Mm-hmm. You know that yeah. they believe that it's is really truly us versus them sort of mentality that they have. Yeah. And right now with how divisive the rhetoric has become, how emboldened they are, and how there has been an, a rise in far right and uh, white nationalist organizations and politicians of those politicians who are not condoning such behavior coming into power, it, it truly makes them feel like they are winning this battle to say, right? So that really segues into this next part where we're going to talk about a couple of terms that are actually floating around in this mm-hmm. space yeah. um, that I think we should discuss in order to clarify. So a lot of people say right-wing politician. So what is exactly right-wing politics? So if you actually Google the definition of right-wing politics, it's essentially traditionally what conservatives believe. They believe that, you know, in the protection of individual liberty with less government intervention, they champion uh, the free market economy. They believe in less regulation. They believe that market resources will, you know, um, uh, allocate... uh, It's very economic. Yes, it's more economic, honestly. And Mm -hmm. then to add to that a couple of traditional conservative values, values. like they're um, they're more... pro-abortion they more believe in um less immigration so there are those traditional values uh traditional conservative values that are there um so there are a lot of anti um shit So what is right-wing politics, right? Essentially, right-wing politics, if you Google it, are traditionally what conservatives believe. And mm-hmm. they believe in the protection of individual liberty with less common intervention. Uh, they champion uh, a free market economy. They believe in less regulation. Uh, they believe in lower taxes. Uh, they believe uh, that market forces will you know, de- determine resource allocation. Mm-hmm. And in addition, so it's a more economic definition. Yeah. And then on top of that are the social values that they hold, such as they believe in less immigration. Uh, they believe more in the pro-life stance, that is, they're more for anti-abortion. Yeah. In the U.S., the main bear, uh, the main right-wing politi- political party is actually the Republican, Republican Party. Yeah. In Canada, it's the Conservative Party, uh, who believes in... Uh, right-wing to center-right political values, and in the UK is the Conservative Party, which is also a mix of center-right to right-wing politics. Now, being a right-wing politician is not a bad thing. Yeah, because it seems like what really matters to them is economics and then yeah. certain Christian social yeah. values. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people who believe that, you know, immigrants should come based on economic migration, and there are a lot of people who believe in uh, pro-life you know, they're not they're anti-abortion. And there are a lot of people who believe that government should charge higher taxes. Taxes should be lower, mm-hmm. right? Um, so being a right-wing politician is not a bad thing just because there is it's, it's a political spectrum, right, it, yeah. that goes from left to the right-wing. And the right-wing right now is so used in the mainstream media. And a lot of people just think, oh, right-wing is like the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But the traditional definition of right-wing is not bad, especially how it's perceived in North America and Europe. Though that definition of right-wing politician 
is a legitimized um belief and it's essentially it's a very different way of economically how you think the country should be run and different social values values a right politician espouses which is not identity politics Mm -hmm. however what is concerning in this right-wing political um, belief because it goes from center to the right right Mm -hmm. it's sort of what is concerning the rise in far right Mm -hmm. or alternative right which is kind of like more right to the right wing but all I'm thinking is to the left, to the left. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to put Beyonce in there. Yeah. But yeah. All right. So going back to the right, we have the alt-rights. So alt-right in its full form is alternative right. It's the term coined by Richard Spencer, who is a famous white supremacist. And the alt-right, they believe that the traditional right-wing and traditional conservatives, they're too timid and too tame. So alt-rights, they want to take it even more right. Mm-hmm. They, want to, they want to not just have conservative economic and social values, but they... They completely oppose things like multiculturalism. And based on that, they breed a fear of white people are becoming a minority, they're being replaced, and they really take that identity politics and they prioritize that mm-hmm. within their own demographic where, once again, that, that culture and climate of fear. So they're very, very right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then some of the ideologies that fall under the alt-right term in are ideologies that have been popular popular in the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. So you could be a Ku, Ku Klux Klansman. And for this group, they have a long history of violence, as I said, like in the 1800s and the 1950s. And now they're again, mm-hmm. kind of prevalent again. And their main target is black people. So African-Americans have always been their enemy. Primary target. As they, uh, their enemy, as they like to call them, yeah. But now, in modern day, they're kind of encompassed Jews, LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. Muslims as their enemy as well. Yeah. And then another uh, group that kind of falls under their ideologies is the neo-Nazis. And for the neo-Nazis, they share a hatred for Jews. Jewish people are their main enemy, as I'm using Mm -hmm. that word. And they love, they have a love for Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Germany times. So they essentially have this belief of racial hierarchy where white people sit at the top. Mm-hmm. Which is, as we said, the main one of the main ideologies of white supremacists. Mm-hmm. And while they hate other minorities as well, such as gays, lesbians, Muslims, and sometimes even like Christians, the main enemy is the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's interesting how a lot of these uh, extreme far right ideologies, you know, it changed from you know targeting just. Uh, being anti-Semitic, so targeting mm-hmm. Jewish people and targeting uh, African Americans. So now it's just become anything, anything, yeah. any people who are not the traditional white yeah. person, how they would think way back exactly. whenever, right? Yeah. Now it's, you know, as you said, that it's now spread to not just people of color or Jewish people, you know, people of color, people yes. of different religion, LGBTQ people. Yeah. So basically anybody who decides to go, that doesn't fit their definition of traditional Christian values. Yeah, exactly. At least for white supremacists. Yeah, or doesn't fit their skin color, doesn't fit their values. So yes. basically any minority. Yeah. It's going to pop up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think what has happened in the last couple of years is um, since Donald Trump's election, the rhetoric that he used during his campaigning and since he uh, won the election it has truly stirred up a lot of white supremacist ideologies and mm-hmm. kind of put the spotlight on them. Yeah, We do want to clarify that we, based on the statements or um, things that Donald Trump has said so far, we yeah. don't think he's a white supremacist. No. He's a right-wing polit- politician 
with traditionally conservative values, who is a populist. Uh, his rhetoric that he uses, yeah. it resonates with white supremacist groups because yeah. he thinks he said he mentions words like immigrants are invading the U.S. Mm-hmm. Or when he talks about you know the the way he portrays immigrants are coming on caravans trying to you know like they are on the way to cross the border and yeah. you know occupy your houses and your mm-hmm. land like as if the border of U.S. is so damn porous. It's not. Okay. <laughs> It's pretty, pretty solid. Um, anyway, and his failure to condone the behavior of white supremacist groups. So when there are white supremacist attacks, when a white supremacist, you know, goes on like a rampage and kills people, he finds it extremely difficult, right? I think, to acknowledge that it's a white supremacist who has attacked uh, and killed people. It's more, I think, most of the time he will lean on saying that, you know, these people have had mental issues or mm-hmm. most of the time he'll say that, oh, you know, they're kind of right as well, you know? Yeah. Essentially, or so... Just a small group of people so he diminishes the fact that this is a growing problem exactly yeah maybe he'll say it's a little bit of a problem but he it's not a growing problem no like islamic terrorism or no and he's not he's not exactly he's not yeah. giving it the same sort of weight mm-hmm. even though so many attacks are happening and so many lives are being lost right yeah. but the reason why like he's not a white supremacist and this is debatable i think a lot of people think he is but the way you know as we were yeah. as we define I white think it's su- extreme to call him a white right supremacist supremacist and, yeah he definitely as you said it's the rhetoric yeah it's like they embolden him that's the exactly key word here, and right? if you look at how we were the definition of white supremacist that we mentioned earlier you know it's not that he's actually calling for a white ethno state yeah. he never does he yeah. he he kind of uh whenever you know during his campaigning uh the grand wizard of cake he endorsed him and he outright rejected that yeah. you know and he isn't saying that he doesn't accept immigration at all he wants to if anything for example he said that he wants us to follow an immigration system like canada and australia's which is canada skill especially based. which is skill-based yeah. uh, point-based system uh, and which is primarily for economic migrants mm-hmm. right um and he thinks like a businessman essentially you know he's looking at the dollar value what as an immigrant yeah. you can bring right so what he's guilty of is resorting to a divisive rhetoric to rally um his base you know and he's fear-mongering to get people to vote for him even people who are not white supremacists he's using these um tropes these wordings you know in order to kind of like create fear in your mind even though you might not be a white supremacist but you know just to create fear in your mind that oh my god someone's encroaching on your land and he's portraying himself as a savior that you know or he carefully chooses words too like oh yeah i don't know that he's trying to create He's trying to like embolden them. It's obviously he's not trying to embolden them, but maybe he doesn't realize that these carefully politically chosen words that he's using in order to maybe not lose votes of say, like you're also South kind of people who are towards more white supremacist ideologies. Yeah. He's using these carefully chosen words and they're having an effect which I mean, they're, I mean, they're also knows they're making white supremacists people, more alive, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, so yeah, since his election, essentially a lot of people have felt more emboldened. And it's not that white supremacist attacks did not happen before, people didn't die before, they did. Um, but it's just since that, since his election, it's, it's become more, more mainstream. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we just want to like talk about a few 
there have been many, but we just want to talk about a few yeah. uh, white supremacist attacks that have happened in the last couple of years that mm-hmm. are worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, just last month, so this is very recent, a uh, gunman attacked a synagogue, uh, which is a Jewish place of worship, uh, a gunman who had far-right motivations. Um, uh, he attacked a synagogue on Yom Kippur, and this is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. The attack took place in the eastern city of Hal. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, mm-hmm. uh, in the eastern city of Hall in Germany. And the gunman tried to enter the synagogue, and when he was unable to enter the synagogue, he killed a woman on the street and a man in a kebab shop. That yeah. anger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another attack, and you know, as I'm looking at this list of attacks I'm about to talk about, um, you know how you said that it's more mainstream now mm-hmm. because of the rhetoric and the lack of condemnation that he has? Mm-hmm. You know, it's more mainstream and what attracts mainstream is young people, mm-hmm. you know, and young people who could be progressive and liberal because of the world that we live in instead rather choose to go to these regressive cons- ex- extreme right ideologies of mm-hmm. white supremacy. And that's exactly what happened in 2015, mm-hmm. another attack by Dylan Roof. He entered an African-American church in mm-hmm. Charleston, South Carolina. And, you know, he sat with the churchgoers for a while and then mm-hmm. he proce- got up and proceeded to shoot, shoot at them, shoot at yeah. these parishers. And he ended up killing nine black people. At the end, he was charged with 33 federal charges, including mass murder and hate crime. Then, in August 2019, Mm -hmm. recently, at a Walmart store in El Paso, Texas, another young white supremacist, Patrick Crucius, he went went into a Walmart store in El Paso, Texas, which I think it's important to say is a majority or 80% Hispanic, uh, Mm -hmm. Hispanic city, and he proceeded to shoot 22 people. Mm-hmm. where he proceeded to shoot in the store and he ended up killing 22 yeah. people. Yeah, and then similarly in 2017, in Quebec City in Canada, there was a mosque shooting where Alexander Alexander Bizonette, he shot at the people in the mosque and he ended up killing six worshippers. Mm-hmm. So you'll note that as I was saying these, I mentioned what they were charged with. And all three of the attacks I mentioned, plus the attack that Maisha mentioned, they were all charged with murder. They weren't charged with terrorism. Yeah. So before we get into why they weren't charged with terrorism or why they should be, mm-hmm. what is terrorism really? How do we really define it? Mm-hmm. So there are various definitions and they vary mostly in wording depending on what country it is. But for the but those are very minor variations. Yes. Mm-hmm. So based on the U.S. Code of Federal Regulations, terrorism is defined as the unlawful use of force and violence against persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government the civilian population, or any segment thereof in furtherance of political or social objectives. So basically, if they're politically or socially motivated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So terrorism charges have been given out to many, many attacks since 2001, um, 9-11 attacks. That because a lot of terrorist, such terrorist incident uh, have attacks have, have been happening. Yeah, a lot of terrorist attacks have happened, and this includes, say, Islamic radicals killing people in Iraq, Syria, London, Brussels, Paris, um and of course in the United States and UK as well, and then say guerrilla insurgents in Colombia have killed civilians for their political ideology, and then in Myanmar, uh, uh, Muslim minorities were killed by Buddhist monks. Radical monks. Radical Buddhist monks. And Time Magazine actually put these Buddhist monks on the cover and called them the face of... Buddhist terror. It's just that one particular radical monk who's kind of like the leader of that Mm, movement who's creating, inciting a lot of violence and inspiring a lot of people to kind of go and attack, right? Yeah, so he was put on the cover and and terror. Yeah, yeah, in uh, Myanmar. And the importance here is that these were charged with terrorism and rightly so. Mm -hmm. They were not only charged with terrorism, these 
violent attacks and labeled as terrorism in the mainstream media, they were also put on major magazines and that showed that these were terrorist attacks. And this is what really should be done for attacks of this nature, including white supremacist attacks, which are of this nature, right? And essentially, essentially, it's about the fact that, you know, it you legally should charge it as terrorism. Mm-hmm. And it's when you do that, you're telling the world that this is a terrorist attack. And then every other person in the world looks at it as a terrorist attack. And because post 9-11, the definition or the meaning of terrorism has, you know, it's, it's this disgusting, horrific act of violence mm-hmm. yeah. against a, a certain religion, a certain race, and you take their lives and you think it's okay to do so. Because post 9-11, this meaning has morphed. Uh, this meaning has morphed. Now, it's important that you acknowledge when such incidents happen. Yeah. And those incidents as Zara mentioned, all those examples, you know, they did happen. You know, say, for example, you mentioned the ISIS-inspired attack in Paris. I mean, that's when literally gunmen entered a concert hall and, you know, they went on a rampage. They killed over 100 people. And that's insane to think about that, you know, you go in, you're going to be in a concert hall. Little do you know that you're going to come out and not be alive. You're not even going to, that's going to be the last ever thing you do in your life. Right? So it's kind of crazy, you know, because at the end of the day, the right to be safe, the right to feel safe is a basic human right. Yeah. And no one has the right to take that away from you mm-hmm. in the name of race, race, religion, or whatever bullshit, yeah. whatever they believe yeah, in. Okay? You don't want to be walking around in a state of terror for your basic day-to-day activities or, yeah. or your entertainment. Yeah. 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 You know, and the sad thing is, these attacks that I've mentioned, they're, yeah, 100%, they're rightly labeled as terrorism. Yeah. But in the mainstream media as well, Terrorist attacks by Muslims, they receive a 357% more press, a, press attention and, and are labeled accordingly. So whereas white supremacist attacks, they're not. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now uh, I will do a comparison or sort of like a walkthrough of the Dylan Roof incident that you mentioned, the Dylan Roof uh, white supremacist mm-hmm. attack that he did in the church and see how it, you know, does it actually match up to the definition of terrorism? Let's see. So, you know, as you said, that he went in uh, to a place of worship of mm-hmm. another race. Yeah. And if what motivated Dylan Roof, a white supremacist, to take this extreme action to go into a black church and kill African Americans during a Bible study? Well, a couple years before that, a black uh, man was shot by uh, shot Trayvon Martin and that was getting so much mainstream media attention and he just felt like no one's talking about the black on white's murder he felt like white people are also getting tortured and tormented (laughs) and he felt like no one is talking about that and he wanted to take a stand and he wanted to send a message and that's why he picked that particular church because it was quite symbolic for African Americans Mm -hmm. in uh, the United States yes in Charleston South Carolina and he picked that place and he picked the time when he knows that people are there you know worshiping our bible study right so he went in with um a couple with guns and you know with the intention to shoot and kill people right so that is the unlawful use of force and violence i mean u.s might have second amendment and the right to guns but the right to guns doesn't mean you can go and kill black people for being black um so the unlawful so there the definition as we said the u.s code of federal regulation regulations defines terrorism as unlawful use of force and violence Mm -hmm. which he did taking a gun and shooting up nine people in a bible study 
the definition further goes on as to say against persons or property to intimidate or coerce the government, the civilian population, or any segment thereof. So which particular sector segment of the population is intimidating? African Americans. Because mm-hmm. he thinks that, you know, mainstream media, the world needs to understand that there's a black and white murder happening. Black people are killing white people. White people are getting tormented. And no one is talking about that. And the message needs to be sent out. So he was intimidating African Americans, if you look at it like that, right? Then the definition further goes on to say, or any segment thereof, in furtherance of political or social objectives. In his case, he was thinking about white uh, white uh, white people that how white people um you know being a white supremacist himself and you know later that they looked into how he was of he was active in white supremacist mm-hmm. forums and he believed in white people need to um be more uh out there they need yeah. to talk about their sufferings and you know they need to be prioritized so he basically ticked off everything on that definition checklist yeah so you kind yeah. of see that right yes but if you look back into the 33 federal charges that was laid against him, none of them included terrorism. No, no. It was hate, crime, it was murder, it was assault. Rightly so, but yeah. Why not terrorism? Mm-hmm. And that's such an important question because there's so many similarities between the two, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, one of the biggest similarities is that, you know, these are vulnerable people. Say Dylan Roof, the fact that he was vulnerable enough to fall prey to these white supremacist ideologies, mm-hmm. you know, it could, I'm not, I don't know, 100%, but like most, many people, just like they succumb to Islamic terrorist ideologies, mm-hmm. they do so similarly to white supremacist ideologies because, you know, they might have self-low esteem, low self-esteem, mm-hmm. sorry, and or they might feel like they don't belong, they're isolated and they want to be accepted by a community and say the Islamic community took them, that Islamic radical community took them in or that white supremacist community took him in, right? Took him or her in. So that's that's one similarity. Yeah. Yeah. Another similarity is maybe that feeling of being a warrior rebel. Like, you mm-hmm. know, when you look at those um, ISIS propaganda, what do you see? You yeah. see, you see um, so many men standing together with guns, looking all powerful, like bombs strapped to them. It makes you feel like beheading you're leaving... people. Sorry for the graphic yeah. imagery. <laughs> it but, makes you yeah. feel like you're leaving a mark in this. Yeah, world. exactly. Remember you're starting you. a revolution. Yeah. And similarly with um, white supremacists, they're writing these manifestos, like using like literature using science stupid science and stupid literature but like using it and writing some manifestos of how great you are of like how great your ideology is and And you're starting a revolution apparently part that you're saying that how great your and how great your ideology is you know because islamic radicals they say that in the name of jihad Mm -hmm. and they said the quran mentions jihad and for god you should go and kill these people these and uh these uh non-Muslims, you should, they don't deserve to live. That's how a lot of violent extremists and Islamic radicals yeah. brainwash a lot of people's head and essentially convert yeah. more people into Islamic radicalism. Yeah. And, you know, uh, this is a movie that I recently saw on Amazon Prime, Hotel Mumbai. It was based yeah, on the November uh, 2611 attacks in, on, in Mumbai that happened, that was uh, coordinated and done by uh, Islamic radicals from uh, Pakistani terrorist groups. And these people, if you see in the movie, you know, they were showing how there were some people, some of the terrorists who were kind of, you know, they were doing it because they wanted to, they went to a training camp and which was, you know, Islamic radical camps and they went and 
they those people in the camp told them that hey if you do this we're gonna give your families money yeah you know and if you feel like you know you don't belong or you're isolated or you've low self-esteem you kind of want to help your family like yeah. you know belong somewhere yeah. belong to your family sort of and you know they showed that there's um there's this guy one of the terrorists he kind of calls his mm-hmm. uh family and he's like did they send you the money he yeah, asked that yeah, right yeah, i remember that yeah and then there were they also showed how some of the other one some of the other terrorists were kind of like oh you know, being like reluctant or like their ideology was being a bit, a bit shook if they yeah. were killing people constantly. Because they themselves aren't certain that this is what this is what is right, but because they've been so lost, vulnerable, like you were saying, yeah. and then or maybe it, even like wanted to feel greater, yeah. like a warrior rebel, like. And then, and then that warrior comes in and they were showing that, you know, these, there were some terrorists who felt like, oh, this is not really right. I mean, I don't know about it. And then, you know, one of them who's absolutely sure about it and the leader is on the phone with them telling, oh no, you're doing this for jihad. These, these non-Muslims don't deserve to live. They, they are the worst people. They're bad people. Like, you know, it's, it's, so you've got together it's a horrible cocktail mix of like minds essentially yeah and um coming to one of the uh similar in the similarities between terrorism and white supremacists or Mm -hmm. terrorists islamic radicals or anyone who's labeled as a terrorist in this world and white supremacists is that both these um ideologies Mm -hmm. they kind of recruit people through online and as i mentioned earlier in the episode that internet has made the world intricately linked yes. so someone sitting in one corner of the world has access to information that's been mm-hmm. created in another corner of the world yes so mm-hmm. uh experts have warned that foreign extremists in the west are turning to fringe sites such as gab um bit shoot 4chan 8chan um and even all twitter <laughs> exactly <laughs> all the chats and uh, even twitter and others to propagate their conspiracies so you know you've got on the on the one hand politicians telling facebook and youtube that yo you got to censor you know these white supremacists these islamic radicals you got to stop even but or you see or that take down live streams yeah. right but then you see that ISIS has actively used Twitter to spread its ideologies, to upload its videos, to yeah. to uh, ISIS uh, sympathizers have used so these platforms like Twitter especially to kind of like spread their message. Mm-hmm. And once if they get flagged there, that's when they turn to these fringe sites. And because these are fringe sites in the sense that yeah. they're not mainstream, yeah. we don't really pay attention yeah. to them. But you don't really know about them. And if you're if you don't have that ideology, maybe you're not even on these. Sites, yeah, so you don't even see but it. which just means it's a good place for these people with these extremist ideologies. Mm-hmm. These, you know, these Islamic radicals, these white supremacists, or essentially any radicals, to be really honest, they just get together and it's it's like Reddit, their own Reddit, yeah, without any supervision or anyone. They can discuss, anyone. they can plan things together, they can yeah. and upload manifestos. Yeah, exactly. They can. Yeah, it's just a horrible place, yeah. and it especially attracts the young people because young people are more inclined towards internet, yep. internet yep. communication, Absolutely. right, and are like making friends through internet yep. of similar like-minded ideologies because they might not find if it you're... in day-to-day conversations because yeah. if you're if you feel like you're lonely as a young you know and a lot of the times these are young men so young minds are very impressionable mm-hmm. and if you're if you feel like you're lonely or you have low self-esteem just going on these one of these websites say 8chan and it's like a reddit forum and it's like a reddit forum it's not a reddit forum but it's like that where people are kind of discussing right yeah. you feel like oh shit i'm i you know every day you feel like you've a this is something on your day to do where you're kind of interacting with people and you yeah. know you have a community and that sense is you know it this this these websites give these people that these impressionable minds an avenue to find a source of community but in the wrong place yeah and another thing that has emerged in the last i think year or two is the live stream of 
shootings done by white supremacists yeah. that they live stream on Facebook and essentially it's kind of turned into a gamification of shootings of attacks and killings that they think that you know and they kind of take they kind of feed off that you know when people watch our their live stream they feel like oh my god I'm I'm showing the world my superiority <sighs> and killing and taking a life and mm-hmm. showing my power that word as I'm saying it it's in. just making me very uncomfortable yeah pretty much yeah mm-hmm. so I think let's look at in what ways is you know white supremacy and new Nazis how are they excluded from the terrorist umbrella so one of the main things that a lot of people who justify white supremacist attacks and this in the US is extremely common after white mm-hmm. supremacy goes on a rampage um, they say a lot of the politicians say um, and primarily it's the right-wing politicians and especially Mr. Trump who <laughs> says that you know these people have mental health issues and what needs to be uh, resources more resources need to be allocated to you know give them the mental support mm. the support to overcome such issues yeah they say mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger not the gun <laughs> Yeah, okay. And as much as I, I, I do understand that, you know, mental health issues can play a role, but realistically, it is a very, very, very small group of people within these white supremacist attackers that have very, very serious mental health issues. But otherwise, if you're talking about, oh, mental health issues, what exactly issues are you talking about here? Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day... A lot of common people are tackling a lot of mental health issues, let it be depression, uh, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and so many different forms of mental uh, mental breakdowns that they have. A person who does a 9-to-5 job can have yeah. uh, go through severe anxiety, severe yeah. bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. But does that mean that they go take a gun and shoot someone else just because to just somehow... Yeah. Like, does that mean it justifies doing that? And I no. like I don't think it is, right? Yeah, like no, I do agree that um, mental health is an important factor mm-hmm. in say, work in 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 understanding what causes someone to do this mm-hmm. to to carry out such a horrific act. But I don't think it should be used to excuse a certain group and not mention it for another group. Like I don't think I've ever seen mental health being a word that comes up in, say, Islamic radical terrorism. I think when it comes to Islamic the, radicals, yeah. it's just... Ter- it's it's like just straight-up terrorism. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I think yeah. that's fine, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, um, that's totally acceptable because but, it's, it's wrong. But because we believe in the right to a fair trial, during a fair trial, it is the responsibility of law enforcement and the judge, really, to assess whether someone is, was mentally fit at the time of carrying out the attack. Yeah. Right? And... But that's the thing when you when you try to justify the taxing mental health issues, you're automatically trying to push the narrative without a fair trial even happening and a proper fair psychological assessment happening. You're saying that oh, this is because of mental health. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you put that label and you push the narrative, legally you're even putting them into oh, they were not mentally fit. Yeah. So when you say they're not mentally fit, they're not going to get the same uh, pun- uh, same punishment or, you know, same number of years in prison or, or life, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. in prison. Yeah, especially that charge is not going to be put on them. Yeah, some charge. exactly, just because yeah. you're mentally unfit. But so, and with what right does a, a lot of the politicians who say these white supremacist attacks have mental health issues, with what right? Are you experts? Are you the doctors? Mm-hmm. Like, what makes you... When Dylan Roof um, was sentenced to death in January 2017, he was not deemed psychologically unfit he was not Uh, he carried out even when he was sentenced he said that um, I still feel like I had to do it Mm -hmm. and you know he felt like he had to carry out all these murders 
And uh, he said that anyone who hates anything in their mind has a good reason for it. Yeah. And even though he said, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have killed all these people, but he said it was necessary to. Yeah. So basically his ideology hasn't changed as a result of maybe improving on those mental health issues that they said he had in the beginning. Yeah, so... Yeah. You know, and I'm glad that he was not... So it's a de- core belief. Yeah, and I'm glad he was not deemed mentally unfit. Mm-hmm. Because c- calling... It's like you're saying putting a sheep's wool over a fox. I've never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, mean, I just thought of it. It's like putting a sheep's wool over a fox. You're kind of covering this problem. A lot of these white supremacist attacks, you're just covering them. And saying, oh, no, it's mental health issues. You're not taking them lightly. But at the end of the day, you keep that fox covered in sheep long enough in your <laughs> I've farm. Never heard this it's about to eat your sheep. The rest of your herd, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. That mental health issue is like, yeah, I, I still agree that, you know, it's, I think... People who dis- who carry out such acts like this, they must have something going on up there that maybe could have been tackled with before, but it's not an excuse. No, it's not. And if you're going to use an excuse, use it fairly. Yeah, no double Delete standard. Delete that double standard. Exactly. Yeah. So another way that white supremacists and neo-Nazis are excluded from that terrorist umbrella is by... By, by justifying by saying that they acted individually and not as a part of a terrorist or foreign organization. Um, I don't know if any of you have watched the a video or any video showing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, mm-hmm. kind of uh, questioning... She's a, she's questioning, a U- U.S. congresswoman. Yes, uh, questioning... Was it oh, I think it was a couple of FBI senior okay, officials. Yeah. Ignore me. Anyways, she was talking to the FBI. And we will share yeah. the video on our Instagram page. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want to see it, go to your page and we'll put... Once this episode is up, th- yeah. this video will be up too. Yeah, but if, yeah, if you've seen that video, then you'll see that um, one of the reasons that, um, say, uh, white supremacist crime attacks can't be labeled as a terrorist attack or can't be charged as a terrorist attack is because it it's hard to find a international organization that you can or foreign organization that you can link that attack to mm-hmm. because for islamic radical or islamic ter- extremist attacks you can link it to isis you can link it to al-qaeda um whatnot but you can't really do that with uh white supremacy because white supremacy white, su- white nationalism white supremacy neo-nazis alt-rights they're not labeled as terrorist organizations yeah so you can and say that they acted individually but they really didn't act individually because they did act on the ideologies of white supremacists of neo-nazis yeah. of you know what to go even though i don't think white donald trump's a white supremacist they did act on rhetoric based yeah. off of donald trump and then the ideology of the yeah. white supremacists. Yeah, and you know, in contrast, say for example, I think it was a couple months ago in the US, uh, a man was, you know, uh, charged with supporting, uh, charged with having the intention of supporting terrorist causes mm-hmm. because he was support, he was uh, kind of, uh, tweeting and uh, kind of raising funds for an organization in the US, and as a US citizen, uh, he was trying to support an organization who, ha- who was sympathizing ISIS, which is Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, he uh, he was charged with the intention to support terrorism because he was, you know, empathizing with uh, he was supporting organizations organizations that was empathizing with ISIS causes and ISIS essentially, you know, and that that guy got these charges. Whereas a white supremacist who is on say eight chan discussing and uploading manifests planning yes that oh you know these people this church or this, this synagogue gun. or this mosque or whatever yeah you know, what type of weapon yeah and they all these things that they're discussing right but why is that not or even think about a lot of white supremacist organizations who may be fundraising yeah. um for uh 
cre- putting out content that is then you know from white suprem white nationalist newspapers like Breitbart yeah. uh, uh, taken into and copy pasted in each and in a forum in a discussion forum and then based on that people are you know if any inspiration discussing minds are brainstorming for yeah. the wrong causes mm-hmm. right yeah basically yeah. so why aren't why isn't white supremacist attacks new Nazi attacks alternate not alternate but why aren't these attacks put in the terrorist category mm-hmm. legally? Mm-hmm. or in terms of law. So in the U.S. in particular, the law on terrorism or domestic terrorism, mm-hmm. it's not very clear. You know, it's not easy to just place that terrorist charge on them because um, domestic terrorism is defined under federal law. It's, def- it's defined, but there's no criminal penalties per se. Mm-hmm. So in, in the U.S., federal law defines domestic terrorism as actions dangerous to human life that violate federal, state, or criminal law that appear to intimidate or coerce civilians or influence government policy or to impact government through conduct of mass destruction, assassination, kidnapping, and that occur in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these are great for having that, but there's no... There's no punishments. There's mm-hmm. no criminal penalties. So it's not clear, right? So if you charge someone with terrorism, what's going to be their punishment, mm-hmm. right? Whereas if you charge someone with murder or if you charge someone with um, whatever, hate crimes, there is penalties for it. So you can mm-hmm. actually... Um, there's a higher chance of them going to prison for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. But... Thankfully, that's changing in 2019 now with the growing recognition of this threat, with more mainstream media coverage, with congresswomen and congressmen really pushing pushing to that, find that, a solution to this. And that is great, right? Yeah, exactly. Because that's great. A lot of there these, are being bills right now that yeah, are being passed. Exactly, yeah, exactly. A lot mm-hmm. of these senators, a lot of these politicians, they're recognizing the problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they in regard, and all of the, a lot of these senators and politicians are, you know, they're of all races and religions. And they understand this is... A fox in our on our farm. Yeah, <laughs> that needs to be. I love your <laughs> sheep fox. I don't know where. I don't know why it just suddenly came out of my mind. But yeah. Anyway, and it's good. This is a sign of progress. You yeah, know that exactly. the biggest country, the most liberal country in the world, yeah. is taking a stand. Yeah, and like with the attempts to create new bills mm-hmm. to define this threat, this um, definition of domestic terrorism, mm-hmm. to just like improve mm-hmm. attempts to improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. So. <laughs> In coming to Canada, mm-hmm. you know, our home country, yeah, yeah. Um, so the Quebec mosque shooting that Zara mentioned, um, it was actually, to, the perpetrator was charged for first degree murder. Now, one might wonder why was he not charged for terrorism? Now, Canadian uh, law experts and prosecutors argue that what, uh, are, uh, define, uh, explain that what distinguishes terrorism is the motivation. Terrorism is not just any act of violence, but violence committed for a political, religious, or ideological purpose. And violence aimed at intimidating the public or a portion of the public or the government, right? And um, terrorism offenses, realistically, came into effect since the 9-11 attacks. So that's less than two decades. Whereas when you think about proving murder, murder charges have existed for centuries. Um, So with... When you're proving a murder, it's not about why you murdered, your motivation. Yeah. It's about did you murder yeah. or not, right? Yeah. And uh, whereas when you're proving terrorism, it's just a bit more challenging. Mm-hmm. There's more layers to it because it's harder. Like how are you politically or socially yeah. motivated? Like, you know, uh, can you... Uh, there's so much more like even in the US right these mm-hmm. white supremacist um, organizations or these um, uh, discussions these forums it's still there like what would you call as even and sorry coming back to Canada really I digress there a bit but yeah it's really hard to prove someone's motivation and generally motive is irrelevant in criminal court yeah 
but what is what I liked about it in Canada is I don't feel like there is a double standard. Mm-hmm. The Quebec mosque shooter was not charged with terrorism, but mm-hmm. prosecutor said we're charging him with first degree murder, yeah. and you know he's going to get the maximum sentence. Yes. You know, and terrorism wouldn't have made any difference with respect to the sentence he's going to get because yeah. he's still going to get the maximum. And there's actually a chance that if that terrorism charge couldn't be proved because it is hard, difficult to prove yeah. that that his sentence wouldn't be the max anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Which the should defense, be based on yeah, that crime. Yeah. But because the defense could be like. You couldn't prove terrorism, right? Yeah. If you if you make that the base charge, but you can prove mur- murder. Exactly, and mm-hmm. in so you know, just like the Quebec mosque shooter was not charged with terrorism, two years ago when a Somali refugee man in Edmonton in Alberta, uh, you know, stabbed a police officer and then rammed a U-Haul truck into four pedestrians, and it was found that you know he had uh, Islamic radical thoughts. They even found an ISIS flag in his car. Um, he was not charged with terrorism. Mm-hmm. Um, then prosecutors made the same and they had the same logic that you know they charge him with uh, attempted murder assault and multiple charges but not terrorism the reason being that given his crime and i th- i thought that they were being when i the way i saw it is they were being logical that you know what is going to give us the best yeah. chance of getting him the most the maximum possible sentence yeah. given his crimes yeah so basically they're thinking of logic and they're thinking of what can really punish this person rather than stuff that's going to be divisive and create this division among society and cause people to hate each other and have radical ideas against each other. Or for the defense to just, you know, find one small crack in your logic and then maybe Mm -hmm. even give this person and get this person acquitted, right? Um, And then similarly, if you look back in Norway in 2011, one of the worst uh, uh, far-right attacks that happened was uh, Anders Breivik. He was a... um, white um, supremacist um, with foreign motivations. He killed 69 people. Um, he believed... Uh, yeah, he went on a rampage at a political party's youth camp festival and killed almost 70 people between the ages of 16 to 22. Crazy people. That's crazy. Um, he believed... He believed that, you know, he believed that we, so him... Europeans mm-hmm. were at war with Muslims, and he believed that multiculturalism uh, was uh, a problem. He believed that uh, you know there's going to soon be the there's going to be soon the uh, Europe is going to soon be colonized by Islamic people, <laughs> <laughs> and he felt that the slaughter of the campers in that youth camp festival was meant to be a wake up call. Yeah. Um, he was charged with terrorism. Norway yeah. took a stand and said, this is a terrorist activity. Mm-hmm. This is where, you know how we're talking about mental health issues, yeah. it comes in. Because police initially announced that Breivik is insane, stating that psychiatrists had found him paranoid and schizophrenic. Yeah. They said that he suffers from grandiose delusions. Mental health issues used once again. Then the judge was like, Nuh-uh, no. Mm-hmm. The judge announced that the court wants a second opinion, and two psychiatric experts again did an assessment, and they released their findings, which said, uh, which the judge used to deem Breivik sane at the time of the crimes. Mm-hmm. So the experts' findings state that during the commission of the crimes, Breivik was not psychotic, not suffering from any psychiatric condition, and is not mentally challenged. And hence, he was able to be charged with terrorism. Exactly. There mm-hmm. you go. So had he been charged as mentally unfit, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have gotten a severe, like right now he went to solitary confinement and life mm-hmm. in prison. Yeah. So if he was mentally unfit, he would probably get a lenient sentence because you're mentally unfit. We're giving you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Let's try to help you recover. But that was not the case. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's important. That privilege. 
Exactly. So it's important to understand that you identify the problem and you label it as a terrorist attack regardless of the reason. The or at least don't like pre-identify it as something it's not without you yeah. knowing. It's quite presumptuous. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. So that ties into what the importance or the significance is of putting a terrorist label on terrorist attacks regardless of their race or the person who carried out the attacks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important because having a law that defines terrorism properly or having um, that label, it allows certain restrictions and certain allowances. In terms of restrictions, it prevents terrorist organizations that are labeled as terrorist organizations under governments from getting certain funding. Mm-hmm. So they're not able to fundraise as a group. They're not able to, like, more people will be afraid to provide them funding because mm-hmm. they're like, we're going to go, it's illegal. And more people would actually be afraid of joining that organization because they're labeled as mm-hmm. a terrorist organization. So for example, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, they are labeled as a terrorist organization. So people are not just going to be openly funding ISIS and um, Al-Qaeda and they're not going to be fundraising openly. Well, yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of Twitter. Yes. But um, yeah, but then the neo-Nazis, alt-right groups, mm-hmm. they can. They, they mm-hmm. can fundraise. They can, they're going on campuses to speak for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah, and like, okay, fine, your freedom of speech to say all this, but you are inspiring you guys attacks you to you just google that you know a lot of how a lot of white supremacists actually go on a very well-established universities like either uc berkeley or texas yeah. a&m in the u.s and they give speeches mm-hmm. and that is protected by freedom of speech yeah exactly you know? and you know um another thing is like the fact that you put that terrorist label on white supremacist attacks, maybe not on alt-right group, but at least on that on certain white supremacist attacks, because then the person carrying out the attack knows that they're about to be labeled as a terrorist if they carry mm-hmm. this out. Mm-hmm. Not just as, say, a murderer with a mission or like mm-hmm. a murderer with a revolution, right? Mm-hmm. People die in the name of freedom and revolution all the time, but if you're dying as a terrorist... That's a different exactly. story. It's, exactly. It's it's the symbolism right? that, that exactly. matters, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, even if you know, I get it. You know, a first-degree murder will give you, say, the maximum sentence. But labeling as a terrorist is necessary mm-hmm. because in this day and age, let's be real and let's be blunt. When you think of Islamic radicals, you jump to the conclusion that it's a terrorist. Justified. Mm-hmm. And they get the worst punishment and they get terrible treatment from sight. Right? Yeah. And they deserve it. They're taking so many lives. That's justified. But when you are saying to the rest of the world, you know, to the to the Jewish people who get killed in synagogues uh, when white supremacists enter and shoot them up, or to African Americans in uh, the church attack that mm-hmm. you mentioned, right? Or to Muslims in a mosque attack who were killed on their during their Friday prayers. When you say that their attacker is not a terrorist, even though his reasoning his means were the same as it is is the same as an Islamic radical terrorist who has been labeled as a terrorist and has been treated as a terrorist, has been perceived as a terrorist and legally treated as a terrorist in the rest of the world. What makes him different Mm -hmm. except for the skin of his except for the color of his skin? (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. So that symbolism matters because otherwise you're telling you're telling Muslims that you're 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 kind of second class. Yeah, you know you're telling these and not just um, Muslims. You're telling second class. You're also telling the victims of all these attacks that your life is valued less mm-hmm. when your life is taken by a white supremacist, but your life is valued more if it's taken by yeah. a 
an Islamic radical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A life should not be valued two no. different ways depending on who took it. Yeah. No, to, uh, no, as we said, no to double standard. Terrorism is terrorism. It has no race. It has no religion. And it is important to recognize the problem as it is, to tackle it head on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But yeah, you know, when you don't put that terrorist label on on a terrorist attack or a terrorist organization, like we talked about the restrictions, but there's allowances too for, mm-hmm. for the law, for law enforcement. So the FBI maybe will have more money allocated to them to look for these terrorist groups, mm-hmm. to find them on the internet and whatnot, right? So that resource allocation provided to FBI will be more to hunt down these organizations yeah. because they're listed yeah, or these attacks are categorized as yeah. terrorist attacks. Yeah. But on the other side of this coin is having is having a law for domestic terrorism or having a stricter law for t- domestic terrorism, but then using that law to target fringe groups by mm-hmm. misusing that law. Mm-hmm. So, you know, many civil liberties advocates, they, they warn that having a domestic terrorism law, which is stricter, will maybe, maybe, you know, put some boundaries on the First Amendment, right? So for these um, mm-hmm. minorities, yeah. So say minority groups, or um, say groups like Black Lives Matter, or say anti-fascist organizations, or even environmental organizations. Mm-hmm. Like maybe this law can be kind of mis like cro- made crooked or used to be like no these organizations, which are actually just trying to, you know, have some representation out there or like fight for their rights or fight for the environment's rights just say that they're actually terrorist groups Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah so that's the thing like when you have a law you have to make sure it's written properly you have to make sure that it is specific otherwise it can be misused so you can't just really have like a blanket or not blanket but like have a terrorist law that Mm -hmm. a stricter terrorist law that makes that doesn't make sense it has to be more detailed and specific so i think that you know what you mentioned is pretty important right because if there is someone who's proving that you know a person is a white supremacist uh in a, in a court of law, you can also prove that a Black Lives Matter activist could be a terrorist. Yeah. And uh, there's so many ways that, you know, and a trial is something that is so unpredictable, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how the jury perceives it, how the media perceives it, how the judge sees things, you know, it, it's so unpredictable that if such a, uh, such a statute does exist, you're right, every, every, has two sides and as mm. much as a, there's a recognition the US needed for domestic terrorist organizations such as you know uh, KKKs or uh, any sort of white supremacist ideologies that lead to attacks and deaths and murders and sh- killings uh, it also needs to be understood that uh, by the same token you can use that domestic terrorist organization statute and law recognition mm-hmm. to abuse it yeah. and label these for example, Black Lives Matter. And a Black Lives Matter activist yeah. could be labeled and argued by white supremacist um, sympathizing uh, or uh, espousing lawyers. Yeah. You know, lawyers who believe in white supremacists. They could yeah. argue in court that, you know what, Black Lives Matter activists, their rallies were threatening the lives of white mm-hmm. people. Yeah. How about that? Or they, they talked on this forum about this, 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 and this could be considered a, terror, a new terrorist attack in waiting. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, Ken White, who is a First Amendment expert and lawyer, mm-hmm. he said in an interview once, for everyone who wants to put Ku Klux Klan on the list, someone wants to put Black Lives Matter on the list. And in a court of law, anything flies, right? Exactly. You can argue anything. Exactly. Especially if you have a law that is... Detailed but vague. Exactly. Yeah. You know, this is truly like a conundrum at the end of the day yeah. because, you know, yes, I won't deny the fact that, you know, asking for, for the law to be more specific, to identify white supremacist attacks is domestic terrorism. Uh, 
is yes, sure, asking for it is easy, but yes, as policymakers, as legal experts, it is hard. It is a hard mm-hmm. job, but also you are the only people who have the expertise, who have the knowledge to make sure that there's those fine distinctions in the law and yeah. try your best to make sure that it's not abused, yeah. right? And at the end of the day, it you know, where do you draw the line? Yeah. You know, we were talking about white supremacists, you know, everyone is entitled to an opinion. So these white supremacists and or white supremacist think tanks even exist yeah, in the u.s right these are think tanks with like educated people educated researchers mm-hmm. as educated um economists even who support educate different scientists who support white supremacist ideologies these think tanks exist they do research they go to universities they present their research richard spencer you mentioned there are a lot of white supremacist uh, media organizations like breitbart um so as we said freedom of speech allows everyone to uh, and then you know they're entitled to an opinion yeah but it's kind of like a slippery slope. Where do you draw the line? Mm -hmm. You know, when does it go into like, you know, yes, on the one hand, on the one side of the slope is, you know, sure, hate speech and you get uh, prosecuted for hate crime. Um, But then, you know, hate speech turns into going on attack, a rampage and killing people. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, I guess, for law enforcement agencies, it's hard to track because a lot of these white supremacist attackers, previously they were undetectable or they thought they were said to be vetted to be safe, like mm-hmm. not a threat. Yeah. But then they went on, you know, it's like the pressure cooker's lid went off and boom, yeah. like they couldn't kind of expect it. Mm-hmm. So it's something hard. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it's oh, so easy for law enforcement agents to just go be like, oh no, this guy's about to do this. It's not. Yeah, no. Yeah, right? especially like when you have the First Amendment or in, in terms of the US, the First Amendment and freedom of speech, yeah. like, like directly battling a strict terrorism law yeah there's bound to be little waves of yeah this is right this is wrong this is not happening that's happening yeah yeah confusion all around yeah mm-hmm. but good news folks not everything is as grim as we've been saying there have been times when things have been handled better yeah well it's so grim in terms of the crime about to mention <laughs> but better in the sense that there are saviors out there who can handle issues properly Mm-hmm. So you, most of you probably remember the Christchurch attack, attack that happened in Christchurch in New Zealand in March of 2019, when um, there was a shooter, Brandon Tarrant, who live-streamed his rampage on Facebook, and he basically went into a few different mosques, two different yeah, mosques. It was actually one mosque, Friday prayer. Wasn't it? Oh, different, two, two yeah, mosques. two different Sorry, mosques. My, yeah, my he went into two different mosques. Mosque is the place of prayer for Islamic people, and on Friday prayers and um, Friday prayers is very important to Islamic Muslims. people. Yeah, to Muslims. And he went on this rampage, and he ended up killing fifty people during this attack. And you know, as a response to this attack, and obviously this is a horrible attack, but in response to this attack, Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. She she took the right steps. She called it out for what it was. She called it a well-planned terrorist attack. She refused to name the attacker. But rather honor the victims, essentially. Yeah. She said, remember the names of the victims. Don't remember mm-hmm. the name of the attacker and give him the glory that he wanted yeah. in history. Yeah. Right? And I think the reason why this attack kind of like stirred the world mm-hmm. is because when this white attacker, a uh, white supremacist, entered a mosque with a gun. He kind of was live-streaming the entire thing on yeah. Facebook. And when he live-streamed and uploaded those videos, uh, his video was available. Yeah. This is ridiculous, but a lot of mainstream media organizations use those videos in their news articles about yeah. the attack. 
And I remember I was reading a news article and it had the video in it. Oh my God. No, I haven't watched the video. And, you know, it started, you know, you go to the link and they start playing the video. And I saw that, you know, the attacker just went in and, you know, he shot at people. I couldn't. I just closed my computer. I, I didn't know how to react. Because I was like, I couldn't watch that. this is ridiculous because it's a mosque where I've grown up seeing my, my uncles, my grandparent, my grandfathers uh, go in. And, you know, this is a place of worship. You go by, yeah. you feel safe. And, yeah. you know, literally that, by the way, the attacker entered and the first guy was like, hello, brother, like, you know, come in. And then he shoots the guy. Oh, my God. And I think you know, that's the, so comparable to the beheadings of isis right so gruesome like they don't care about someone pleading for their lives they just go kill them right yeah so this person did it and i think the reason why it shook new zealand is because new zealand is also a country which is so peaceful so mm-hmm. beautiful people are so simple yeah they didn't and, expect it there yeah, yeah in that corner of the world and the white supremacist attacker clearly said he picked a part of the world where he wanted to send the message you want to spread that exactly you wanted to send the message that you're not safe anywhere yeah you know like you're not safe anywhere even in new zealand yeah and because of so the because of this one attack has so much meaning yeah and you know and new zealand was a small country guys but they had more balls than mm-hmm. the u.s and donald trump no matter, no matter yeah. how much he argues about his balls but yeah. let's just say that <laughs> one by this one incident jacinda arden had bigger balls than him oh yeah for sure and you know sh- she called it a terrorist attack mm-hmm. right yeah and it was charged with terrorism too yeah. like brendan tarrant was charged with terrorism mm-hmm. he was charged terrorism 51 murders and 40 attempted murders and the, the exact words are engaging in a terrorist act mm-hmm. yeah and the mainstream media did call it a terrorist attack as well yeah yeah, yeah. and that, yeah. That, that that's that's that's, that's just, what you expect that's what exactly you exactly want. and that, that swift response and the in national unity around that and the international recognition of what it was and i think in 2019 felt like the narrative has oh, there's a lot of recognition and acknowledgement of yes these white supremacist attacks need to be recognized as terrorist attacks mm-hmm. right like even Zara mentioned you know Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez in the House of Representatives in the yeah. U.S. Congress she's been you know she was questioning senior FBI officials and in her questions when she was asking them you know comparing uh, the similarities between terrorism and white supremacist attacks and she just said you know don't you think these are you know white supremacism supremacy sorry is a global issue so it should be an, an under international terrorist organization. And that's when a lot of the FBI senior officials agreed mm-hmm. that, yes, it is an issue. It needs to be tackled like terrorism, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, uh, it makes me happy to see that, that, you know, that there is a recognition that, you know, you need to understand that this problem is festering for a long time. Yeah, exactly. So I think it brings us to, like, think of the ways as to how we stop this ideology from spreading. Yeah. Right? This these extreme ideologies that these white supremacists hold. Um, I think the first thing would be to promote diversity as a strength. Yeah. Rhetoric sh- matters. Exactly. That you know, that you know, our strength lies in our differences. Yeah. Um, to have people from different backgrounds and backgrounds include different gender, different religion, different sexuality, different race, uh, different create whatever yeah. right our differences give us to bring different perspectives to the table mm-hmm. and there is no another you yeah right mm-hmm. there is no another engineer zara <laughs> you know bangladesh engineer who lived 10 years in new york right there's mm-hmm. no another you no. essentially and uh, what you bring to the table is unique yeah and i think it's important to realize that what you bring is valuable and your, what you bring is not just your race and your religion or your sexuality, or yeah. your sex, or yeah. sorry, or your gender, right? So there, there is strength in diversity. Yes, 
and there is even economic benefits like tangible mm-hmm. benefits of that diversity yeah. right like you think about why um like for example in canada or in australia or a lot of Western governments have, you know, legal immigration avenues mm-hmm. because a lot of economists have predicted that Western gov- Western countries are soon, in very, very soon, mm-hmm. they're going to have a population where the number of dependents is higher than the working population. Yeah. So that's an aging population they're heading towards, right? Whereas emerging economies like India, like Vietnam, these are more younger populations. Yeah. Right. So if you don't have a, uh, if you have an aging population, that means you have less workers. And if you have less workers, then you are essentially, you don't have people who can, you know, create uh, products and create services and essentially create value to your economy. So essentially there is a necessity for immigration, right? There is a necessity for economic immigration. There's a necessity for family reunification. I mean, you can't bring young people and not expect them to want to bring their uh, spouses or parents, right? And essentially, a lot of the countries need these immigrants. And these immigrants Mm -hmm. don't come in and, you know, it's not like they don't contribute. A lot of these immigrants come in. I actually read an article did on Bloomberg which said that how... um, uh, Indian Amer- Indian Americans, essentially, yeah. you know, first or second generation Indians are more likely to create a lot more value and climb up the ladder in the U.S. Yeah. And it just goes to show it's because of the work ethic, their uh, ambition, their uh, uh, will to be more brilliant, to be yeah. intelligent, and uh, it's how they, they, they see themselves, you know, as hardworking people. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, immigrants... Sure, there are low-skilled immigrant programs as well, yeah. um, but let's be real, a lot of the low-skilled immigrants are brought in for jobs that are usually not very comfortable for a lot of uh, local people, too, yeah. right? A lot of, that's why a lot of low-skilled immigrants are brought in. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's important to understand that the economy needs, the immig- it needs immigration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely um, agree with the promote diversity as a strength. Mm-hmm. One, it's that kind of ties in with rhetoric as well. Like, if you constantly, if 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 our leaders are constantly spewing messages that kind of perpetuate hate, mm-hmm. it's it's gonna reach the wrong audience. Mm-hmm. So I think we we as a we as a society need to decide what we what we're putting out there because, as you said, young minds are impressionable mm-hmm. and vulnerable minds are impressionable. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's really important that we promote that diversity message through rhetoric, especially yeah. from our leaders. Yeah, and then you know we need to train our train our law enforcement in in all countries to better tackle this opportunity. And the first way to for to train them is to first acknowledge that this is a problem, which is not just which is not just a criminal offense, but it's a terrorist offense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know we have we've argued whether or not not argued, but we've discussed whether or not attaching that terrorist label is that important or not. But um, we definitely need to acknowledge that it's not just murder. There's much more to it than just murder. There's an mm-hmm. ideology behind it, and that ideology itself is harmful to society. And based on that, we need to train our law enforcement to understand that and to 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 find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, we need to basically update our systems to maybe track this online, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Data collection. Um, to track to track uh, these forums and you know not just where the even where yeah. all these plans essentially be better collecting the data as you yeah. said in all these forums where they're being discussed and I think you know there has to be I mean if if 
AI and you know technology is developed to the point that they can detect yeah. you know what I want to see <laughs> yeah. before I type it. Yeah, there has to be a way where you can use the technology to you know kind of uh, track people's search terms or search yeah. histories or yeah. a lot of these form discussions. What is happening? Like. I just believe that if we've done so much with data and so there's so much potential for data and so much we've done so far with technology yeah. and everyone, and we believe in this potential, there has to be a way we can leverage that yeah. to in all in terror countering terror in countering terrorism, right? Yeah. yeah. And you know, like we really definitely do need to redefine that domestic mm-hmm. terrorism law. Mm-hmm. Because you know, as you were talking about that Christchurch shooting and how um there's like charges of murder, there's mm-hmm. char- and then charges of engaging in terrorism. Mm-hmm. So it's possible you can be charged with murder and you can be charged with terrorism. Mm-hmm. So you'll still be getting that maximum sentence of um, murder, and then you also have the tag of yeah. terrorist. Yeah, I can understand that maybe terrorism, if it's not proven, it can reduce a certain sentence. But you know, there if if New Zealand could do it, if Norway could do it, there has to be a way the rest of the world can do mm-hmm. it too. You know, yeah. So I th- those are some ways I think we can. And you know, like lastly and above all, like the way that Jacinda Ardern did, you have to promote love, you have to promote unity, you have to really show people that they're going to be exception study. As they are, they don't need to like, especially the vulnerable people, they don't need to fall prey to these ideologies, you know, Mm -hmm. you need to, we just need to be a more compassionate society, I think, in general. Yeah. Yeah, more accepting society, because, yeah, not only is there strength and diversity, but there's overlaps, like, different, different, different cultures, they have overlaps and similarities, like, you Mm -hmm. know, one of the main white supremacist um, concerns is that refugees, like, in in particular, refugees, they won't assimilate, they'll maybe change a culture say in mm-hmm. france like they don't know our culture they're very different from our culture and they're going to put their culture into our culture and ruin it but like there's there's overlaps right say for conservatives and people from more developing nations very strong family values very strong religious values so there's there's some commonality between you two mm-hmm. don't hate each other like love each other mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. each other more importantly and i think yeah. drawing from that i think a lot of times Okay, this is gonna. Uh, when we when 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 it comes to experiments, social mm-hmm. experiments, you know, for their research purposes, they want to mitigate sampling bias. Yeah. So you know, if you're trying to draw a a conclusion for a population based on a sample, you want to make sure that your sample is representative of the population, right? Yeah. So when you say it's one, it should be representative of the population. It should try to capture the characteristics of the population in general, right? So. That means that you shouldn't pick the 10 worst people out of a population of 1,000 and then base your conclusion based on the the 10 worst people that you picked. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. What happens now is, and you know, a lot of people make a lot of assumptions and a lot of stereotypes about Muslims based on Islamic radicals. Yeah. You know, a lot of people make a lot of assumptions based on women who wear hijabs based on Islamic radicals. And it's sad. Because, you know, Muslims are a population of one and a half billion people. And for terrorists, for these Islamic radicals who do these, you know, horrific acts, you know, and they deserve all the punishment and they deserve all this, you know, um, hate and disgust. And I'm going to say that, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Hate and disgust mm-hmm. it is. Um, they deserve it. But they make up less than 10% of no. that one and a half billion people. So... We, you know, you should just because we in experiments, if we make the effort to make sure that we don't have sampling bias yeah. in our daily life, we should make an effort to make sure we don't have that sampling bias. Yeah. And this, if and if we do, and a lot of people, you know, jump to the conclusion based on 
10 Islamic radicals, they will make a conclusion about 100 Muslims. Yeah. If we use that logic, then, you know, technically I should, you know, go and make a conclusion based on all white people, based on these white supremacist attackers. But that's not fair, mm-hmm. you know, because look at Jacinda Ardern, right? She she made this wonderful move and there's so many people in the world who are recognizing these problems and they're, yeah. they're people filled with love, they're people filled with hope, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of the day, it's not fair, as you said, yeah. you know, it's, it's not fair to, you know, think that these... You know, these people, these Muslims, these people of color, these women of color, uh, people of different sexuality, Jewish people, they're not the other, mm-hmm. you know? And most certainly, it's not fair to judge a whole group of people based on a few rotten apples. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I think it's, it's, at the end of the day, terrorism has no race or religion. No. And uh, mental health issues cannot be used as an excuse no. to justify it. And it's important to hold the same standard for all terrorist activities, regardless of race or religion. Yeah, because there's so many similarities between between terrorists of different races and religions. You know, they think they're fighting for something. They think that they're creating a revolution. They're bringing about a change that's necessary, mm-hmm. even though that change is radical yeah. and extremist, right? So essentially, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, Yeah, a.k.a. delusion, because yeah. that's a delusional thought. Yeah. Like, no, no. Yeah. You're not fighting for the right thing. No. Fight for something else. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, that's all we have for today. Hope you were able to take the grimness of it, but it's an important topic definitely to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, our, this episode might be a bit long, mm-hmm. uh, but I think, as we said, you know, in our Instagram post, I think a couple of days ago, that, you know, this was a very heavy topic for us to even, you know, prep for. And we just wanted to make sure that we do justice to these very controversial and sensitive topics yeah. you know we don't want to make any we don't want to discuss issues that you know we we just want to make sure that we we think about everything before we discuss this on our platform and at the end of the day express our opinions about issues that we tr- truly believe in yeah mm-hmm. all right well everybody have a wonderful monday great start to the week guys <laughs> <laughs>